0: You're listening to an Airwave Media podcast.
1: Her money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together we're here to empower, educate and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com/it's time. Her money comes to you through PRX. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Very glad to have all of you along with us today. Although. I'm hoping that your day has gotten off to a better start than my day. Let me just tell you that on today's show, we decided we, we've gotten so many of your great questions by email and Facebook and Twitter that Kelly and I decided that we would do another mailbag episode of Her Money. We've pulled together a bunch of questions. We're going to spend this podcast answering them. And the reason that we do this podcast, besides all other things is because life happens, and emergencies happen, and we all need to have our financial acts together to get through those things. And today, life happened to me. I was telling Kelly before I got here that I now know the difference between friends of mine who live in New York City and don't drive and friends of mine who live in the suburbs and do drive. And the difference is this. When you say to them, on my way into work today, I had an unbelievable blowout. The ones who live in the city say, well, your hair looks great. (laughs) And the ones who live in the suburbs say, oh my God, are you okay? And it's, oh my God, are you okay? That I was looking for. I hit a pothole that was not to be believed. I was driving into the city. I had a breakfast meeting that I was really looking forward to. I wasn't taking the train because I had Teddy with me. We were going to spend the night in the city as well. So he was sitting shotgun as he likes to do. (laughs) Teddy, Teddy's your dog. Teddy is my dog. Yes, not my Teddy bear, but he's my dog. And, uh, yeah, I hit this pothole and I, I heard it. I mean, I just knew sometimes you hit something and you have to get out of the car to check if things were okay. I did not have to get out of the car to check if things were okay. I knew that it wasn't. So I was about two miles from home. I flagged somebody who was in a truck who looked like they knew more (laughs) about what they were doing than I did down. And said, do you think I can make it home if I go really slowly? And they said, yeah, I would just take it easy. So I turned the car around, and I headed in the other direction, and I headed very, very slowly home. And I didn't make it very far. The wheel just started to wobble wildly. I pulled over. I called roadside assistance. And one of these days, I will actually learn how to change a tire so I could do it myself. Although I don't know that I would do it myself wearing the shoes that I was doing. You that are. I was wearing. You are wearing fabulous shoes. I'm wearing great shoes, but mm-hmm. they are, as my husband would say, they are taxi shoes. So, <laughs> um, so that was my day. How was your day, Kelly? Better than yours.
0: <laughs> I didn't have either kind of blowout this morning, and it, I do need. The hair one, especially. But no, today's been really nice and I'm happy to be here. And I went through all the places that you can ask us questions, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, jeanchatsky.com, emails. And I just picked a handful that I'd love to love to dive right into. Great. Well, you get started. Okay. Well, I think we should start with the kids. And our first is an email from Caroline. On your podcast, a guest mentioned how her granddad bought her stocks for gifts as a way to teach her about finances. I love this idea. I wanted to do it for my nieces. Unfortunately, it's not that easy. My question, what book can I get to teach kids about finances? And she's interested in finding out one for a 21-year-old college student and then one for a 13-year-old. Okay. So the first thing that
1: I want to tell you, Caroline, is that it may be easier than you think to buy individual shares of stock for your nieces and nephews. I've done it for my nieces and nephews. There are services out there where you can buy an individual share of stock. So just Google buy a single share of stock. They'll all come up for you and you can take a look. And if you decide that you do want to go in that direction, that's something that you can do. But I totally get what you want to do to teach kids about finance. For the 21-year-old college student, I'd recommend Get a Financial Life by Beth Kobliner. Um, Beth is a wonderful personal finance writer. This was a best-selling book. She wrote it many years ago, but she's since updated it, so it's pretty fresh in terms of the material. For 13-year-olds, I'm going to actually not just recommend for you, but I'm going to send you a copy of my book, which is called Not Your Parents' Money Book. And I wrote it specifically for middle school age kids because I took a look at what was out there and there wasn't very much. So we'll get back in touch with you via email,
0: Caroline, and we will get those books out to you. It's as easy nowadays to even buy a fraction of a share through gift cards, right? I think there's a service that provides them and you can get them at even your local grocery store.
1: Yeah, it's not as difficult as it sounds. So if what you decide you want to do is buy a single share of stock, Mm -hmm. um, there are avenues available for you.
0: So what are a couple of those providers or services that people can use? We've written in the past
1: about giveashare.com and stockpile.com. So take a look
0: at both of those and see if they do the trick. Great. And our next question is from Lauren. She sent us a message on Facebook. I have a six and a five-year-old, and I was wondering what's the best savings account to open up for them for college savings? I'm leaning towards 529 plan, but we are military, so I'm wondering which is the best option for us. Thank you.
1: You are very welcome. Thank you so much for writing. So again, to just give you another resource... You should take a look at Operation Money, which you can get for free on my website, jeanchatsky.com. It is a free personal finance guide for military service families published by NBC. It's about a year old, and it has a ton of information, an entire chapter on paying for college specifically for military families. But I'm in agreement with you. I think 529s are the way to go, and you're probably wondering, since you move around so frequently, which state's plan you should buy. Look at the state you're currently in and see if there are any tax advantages, like a deduction on your state tax return for making a contribution to that state's plan. A number of states have them. If you move to another state, you can continue to contribute to the old state's plan, although you will no longer get that tax deduction. But you can also transfer the funds to the plan of another state. You can't do it every other week or every other month, but you can certainly do it every other year. And you want to compare and contrast all of these various 529s, because every state has at least one, by going to savingforcollege.com. Savingforcollege.com is a website that rates... 529 plans, very much like Morningstar rates mutual funds. Morningstar, by the way, also rates 529 Mm -hmm. plans. So that's a very, very good second source for that information. And you want to look for a 529 plan that is low fee and high performance. It's important to balance these two things because not all 529 plans are equal, and it may make sense if you live in a state that doesn't offer you a particularly good 529, even if you get a tax deduction to put your money somewhere else.
0: But this is great, and um, and um thanks for sending your question in. Next up is from a listener who would like to remain anonymous, which is totally fine. Please just let me know when you ask your questions. She writes, first, I love your podcast. I need your help. Our 13-year-old daughter has some significant mental health issues and needs residential treatment. We have chosen a therapeutic boarding school that is a great fit. Tuition will be about $100,000 for a year. Even though we are in a good place financially in terms of debt and savings, we don't have this amount just lying around. We need to take out a loan but don't know where to start. We have never taken out a personal loan like this before. Any advice?
1: Boy, well, first of all, let me just say that I know what you're talking about because we have a lot of mental health issues in my extended family. And so I just empathize and hope that you guys are doing okay. As far as taking out a loan, you want to look for the lowest cost financing available to you. Generally, that's going to come in the form of a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit if you own a home and you have substantial equity in it. You got to be careful there because borrowing against your home means putting your home on the line. And should home values take a turn for the worse and you find yourself having to move unexpectedly you could wind up underwater. This is what happened to a lot of people during the housing crisis. They had just pulled too much equity out of their homes. They found themselves underwater, and they needed to um really reshape their entire financial scenarios in order to deal with them. A lot of people lost their homes in the crisis. So you can look at a home equity loan or a home equity line of credit, but I want you to be careful there and I want you to compare the rates to unsecured personal loans. You may be able to borrow this money based on your credit, based on your employment status from a bank or a credit union or A private market lender like SoFi, which is out in the market and known for making student loans and other kinds of loans, but is also in the business of making unsecured personal loans. And just compare and contrast all the rates. My other piece of advice, and I'm sure that you've done this already, but just in case you haven't, is that you exhaust all avenues when it comes to applying for financial aid for this education and in terms of appealing to your own public school district. So I'm not familiar with who you are or where you live, so I don't know how your public school district works, but I know how my public school district works. And in some cases, if your public school system is not able to offer the quality of care that your child requires, they can be compelled, and usually it does take a lawyer, to pay for education elsewhere. And so I just want to make sure that you've looked into all of these things. There are specialists who focus on, and and I'm talking about attorneys in particular areas, who focus on how to help you pay these bills. So make sure that you've reached out to the boarding school itself and ask them how other parents have figured out how to find help paying these bills. You know, make it very clear to them, you're going to do whatever it takes, of course, to be there for your child, I'm sure that they've gotten this question many, many times before, and they probably have a person on staff who can help you deal with it.
0: Okay, now taking a slight turn to the discussion of wills and life insurance policies, our next question is from Gigi. She writes, hi, Gene. I'm 29 years old and got married in July. Re- Congratulations. <laughs> Recently, my friend from college tragically passed away. He leaves behind a wife and was going to graduate with an M.D. this December. I have since begun researching wills and life insurance policies to prepare for the unexpected. What is the best type of life insurance to cover debt and other expenses so my spouse will not be financially burdened? Also, are online will companies a reliable option or should I have a lawyer draft our wills? Boy, um, first
1: of all, I'm really, really sorry about your friend. That's just that's just terrible and way too young. Let's answer these questions one at a time, Gigi. So we're talking about life insurance policies to prepare for the unexpected, and we're talking about wills. When you're looking into life insurance to cover, quote, debt and other expenses, that says to me it's a relatively small amount of money. If you're thinking about credit card bills, if you're thinking about funeral expenses, and many people do go out and they buy a small life insurance policy to cover funeral expenses, I would rather see you just save some money for that purpose. Just make sure that you've got a fully funded emergency cushion that could cover it. If you decide that you have so much in the way of expenses or that you are the primary wage earner and that your spouse wouldn't be able to continue to pay the mortgage for example if something were to happen to you then you have a need for life insurance because somebody else is depending on your income generally we look at life insurance when we have a non working spouse or a spouse who doesn't work outside the home that would need to be supported we look at it when we've got kids in the picture who would need to be supported and we also look at it when we've got aging parents older parents who are dependent on us for financial support the very The best way to think about life insurance is to think about it as income insurance if you leave behind people who would be at a loss without your income then you need life insurance and the very best way to get as much as you need for the lowest amount of money is just to buy a term insurance policy term rather than permanent and term life insurance terminates It goes away after a certain number of years. You can buy a 20-year level term policy, which will carry you, you're 29 years old, so this will carry you until you're 49. You could buy a 30-year level term policy, which will carry you until you're 59, and that can be a very, very good way to go. It's called level term because the premium starts out at one level and just stays there for the extent of the policy. And because you're so young and I'm assuming so healthy, it should be relatively inexpensive to get as much as you need. As far as those online will companies are concerned, they're absolutely reputable. If what you're putting together is a simple will, I leave everything to my spouse. My spouse leaves everything to me or even one that's one notch more complicated than that. My brother gets my record collection. If you still have records or whatever it is, you can certainly do that with an online will company. At the same time, you're going to want to make sure that you have Medical directives, also sometimes called a healthcare proxy, which would allow someone, typically your spouse, to make decisions for you if you get ill and you're unable to make them for yourself. And vice versa, your husband needs these documents as well. You want a power of attorney for finances so that your husband could make financial decisions, pay bills, all of that kind of stuff if you were unable to do it yourself. And you want a living will, which tells a doctor or a hospital whether you want life support. But those online will programs do all these other documents, too.
0: Normally, we have this discussion with new parents. Like, this is the first time I'm hearing just, in, you know, a couple, one person of a couple or a partner of a couple say, I'm already thinking about this. And I get it. It's uh, To me, it. And I don't think it'll hit me until I have someone in my life or, you know, someone who's depending on me, maybe. But to spend money for something you hopefully never have to use. Well, that's insurance, right? That's that's insurance. First of all,
1: that's all of insurance, Right. right? Insurance is something that we buy that we hope that we'll never use. But I read her letter and I know exactly why she's writing, because... And I think I've said this to you before, maybe not on the air, but I don't believe that people necessarily come for financial advice just because. I think people come for financial advice because something happens in their life. And Gigi lost a close friend her age. She saw it happening. Mm-hmm. You know, she saw what life can bring about. And she said, Oh my gosh, if this were to happen to me, how can I make sure that the people I love, the one I love, my husband doesn't suffer. And quite possibly, you know, she's got a large amount of credit card debt that she doesn't want to leave him with, Mm -hmm. or she's got other big expenses that she doesn't want to leave him with. Just be cautious about Buying more than you need before you need it. I you, you often hear me tell single people they don't need life insurance, right. and they don't need life insurance because nobody is depending on them. Great. Thank you. Sure. We're going to move on to a couple of other questions, but before we do that, let's just take a break for a second, Kelly, to tell everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Fidelity is focused on helping women like us take charge of our financial lives. We all deserve to live the lives that we work for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time. Kelly, have you visited fidelity.com slash it's time? I have visited it. Of course you have. As have have. I I, because there's a lot of our content up there, a lot of checklists that we've written for all of these turning points in life to help you whether you're getting married or getting divorced or starting a new career or having a baby or... Figuring out what move to make next and a lot of the frequently asked questions that we get, you'll find information there as well. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, we talk about our sponsor a lot. We're very grateful to them, but I just want people to understand that this particular site is a really good resource.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: For people. All right. Again, that is
0: fidelity.com slash it's time. Let's go back to your questions. All right, next up is a new retirement related question from Betsy. Unfortunately, my husband and I are getting divorced after twenty-one years of marriage. As part of my negotiated settlement, I am getting fifty percent of his retirement account. I'm wondering if I could use a portion of this to make a down payment on a primary residence. I have quite a bit of my own money in a 401k, having maxed out my contributions for more than 10 years, but I am a bit cash poor and live in an expensive real estate market. I would appreciate your guidance.
1: So I would caution against pulling the money out. Betsy, I first of all, I've been there and done that, and I'm sorry to hear about your divorce, but I know things can be really good on the other side. And so you just sort of point yourself north and and walk in that direction, and you are going to be a-okay. As far as The money in the retirement account is concerned. I don't know if your settlement is final or not yet. Basically, the way that this works is splitting a retirement account using an instrument called a quadro, which is a qualified domestic relations order is something that is done specifically to allow you to keep the money in the retirement plan because you want it in the retirement plan where it can continue to grow tax-deferred. If your settlement's not final, I'd I'd rather see you go back and negotiate for a slightly smaller share of the retirement plan and a slightly larger chunk of cash if one is available to you. If not, rather than pulling money out of these tax havens, think about other ways to come up with additional cash, whether we're talking about soft-pedaling your own future contributions into your own retirement plan. I'd much rather see you just scale back on your contributions, pile up some cash that way, and use that money to make your down payment. You can also look at mortgages where the down payment requirement isn't quite as steep. There are mortgages available to you. Some of them are called piggyback loans, where you combine a second mortgage with a slightly higher rate and a first mortgage, and you use that to satisfy the requirements for equity in the property that the mortgage lenders are asking you for. And then your aim is to pay off the second mortgage very quickly, just blow it out of the way as you amass cash, get rid of that and pay off the first mortgage with available cash as it's coming in. And that's what I did, by the way, when I got divorced. I used a combination of mortgages, but I got rid of the more expensive second mortgage very quickly and then just dealt with the less expensive, more conventional first mortgage.
0: I don't know how you retain all of this. I really <laughs> well, don't. Well, I did this myself,
1: so you know this information is like in my head because been there, done that. You never for look. I hope that when you get married, you never, ever, ever get divorced. I just hope that for you because it's not it's not fun and it's not something that anybody goes into marriage thinking. Right. You know, but if once you go through this stuff, you never ever forget it. So there's a lot of good information out there. And if you're still confused or concerned, send us another mm-hmm. email, talk to your attorney or reach out to a financial planner who specializes in divorce. There is a whole association of divorce financial planners and many of them are quite good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Betsy.
0: Thanks, Betsy. All right, Kelly, who's next? Okay, now we have a question from Twitter from someone who has a really cool name, Mr. Picasso. And yes, it's a mister. And thanks for asking. We welcome men to the Her Money Party as well. Please send us your questions too. So Giacomo Picasso on Twitter wow, asked, that I is know, isn't it a nice a name? name? He goes, hi there. Is there a penalty for non-qualified withdrawals from an HSA? And if so, what are those penalties? Very straightforward.
1: Um, 20%. Very straightforward.
0: Very straightforward is it ever worth it to do that? Like, is, Or are you pretty strict about that? Because I know how strict you are. Your advice is when it comes to retirement and not tapping that for any expenses aside from when you're supposed to in retirement. It's
1: kind of the same as any other this or that question. You got to look at the cost of that money. So if you are looking at a 20% penalty for tapping HSA funds, for something that you truly need and you got the money somewhere else, what would it cost you to get the money somewhere else? I mean, if you borrowed it, if you put it on your credit card and you've got a 0% credit card that you can pay off over a year, you do that. If you borrow it in the form of a home equity loan or line of credit, and you pay it off again in a relatively short period of time. But the interest rate there is 3% rather than 20% or 4 or 5% even rather than 20%. You do that. So it's just a matter of weighing the cost. And by the same token, although I am on record, as not liking it when people borrow money from their 401Ks. Mm-hmm. You can borrow from a 401K. Mm-hmm. You can pay it back. It's much cheaper than doing this, much cheaper than making a withdrawal from your 401K, also cheaper than making a withdrawal from your HSA. Did not know that. And and by the way, I think that's a good point about men, and I just want to come back to it for a second. We know there are men listening to this show. We hear from men. We do this show for women because... We are women, but also because women have a need that I see as unmet in the financial space, and that's just that we live longer. So we have less time and less opportunity to make the most of our money, which makes it more important for us to do right now. And so if there are men who are tuning in, we welcome you and please share the show
0: with other men that you think might like it. Yes. Two of my favorite moments over Thanksgiving break were my girlfriends, husbands and boyfriends saying that they listened to an episode and they liked it. We're hearing, we pick up little bits and pieces from the reviews that we get, which we
1: appreciate, Mm -hmm. by the way, that men who are listening are Finding that it improves the conversations that they have with the women in their lives, whether it's their wives or their partners or their daughters or their mothers. So very
0: important. All good. All All good. good. All right. Is this the last one? Yes. We have a tax related question from a different Kelly, not me. She writes, my job closed the brick and mortar and everyone started working from home since last year. Are there any tax deductions since now my electric bill and phone bill have gone up? Hello. Home
1: office deduction. Mm -hmm. Now, The home office deduction, if you Google IRS red flags, you will get a slew of articles that cite the home office deduction as a red flag. That said, if you are working from home, if it is your only office, your only workspace that you can document in pictures, that it is a place that you have a space in your home that is only for your work, it can't double as a nursery, can't double as a guest room, it's got to be a designated space, then you should be taking the home office deduction. Mm -hmm. And it can be very valuable. And it can allow you to, based on the percentage of your space that this home office takes up, take a commensurate percentage of things like utilities. So by all means, Read up on the home office deduction. If you qualify for it, you should be taking it. You should not be scared away by all those red flag stories. I take it Mm -hmm. because my home office is my only office. Mm -hmm. So I am entitled and I have a designated space.
0: Before we did the WeWork space or got our office at WeWork, I did it the first year and a half that I was working for you and it got me so much money back yeah. on my tax return. One of my first ones, especially, I actually think it like gave me some money it paid me. So it's definitely worth looking into. And I get the scariness of seeing like, you know, this is a huge red flag for audits. But I think in the year either before or the year that I first did it, they made a modification so that you don't actually have to take photos or be super strict with, um, the dimensions, if you will, that you can write up to a certain amount of space that's safer than maybe a larger home office that some people might have.
1: Yeah. So it's absolutely. It's, I mean, you were living in a one bedroom apartment or a studio a apartment? A so. I
0: was living, I was living <laughs> in a, a, a little shoebox. It's
1: New York, folks. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I think to keep in mind there is the pictures come in handy if you change your home office into, say, a nursery because Uh, a baby comes. And then you have to prove behind the the times after a couple of years have gone by, if you get audited for a past return, you have to prove that it actually existed. So if you're redecorating and turning what was your home office into something else, take pictures. Prove. Great. Good to know. Thank you, Kelly, for gathering all of these together. That was fun. Let me just say a big thank you to our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week. We'll be talking with Jen Barrett, who is the chief culture officer. Yeah, love that title for WeWork, which is a very, very fast-growing company of communal workspaces. And she's going to sit down and talk with us about how to turn your workspace into the kind of supportive community you need whether you work in an office work from home work from your car wherever you plant yourself on a day-to-day basis we'll talk soon